Richard along for the ride. So this evening, we're going to talk about you. You and your voice. Last week, we talked about relationships. If you missed it, catch the link. It's on my website, www.authorandreajoyce.com. Go to the podcast page. Hey, while you're there, check out my link for my book, which is 31 Ways to Self-Care. And I also have a book called Five Steps to Overcoming Unforgiveness. Get a copy. And if you get it from my website, I will autograph it. If you get it, you can also get it from Amazon and Kindle. So, your voice. Your voice is necessary for this world. There are times that people try to shut us down, overtalk us, overlook us, walk over us to get to someone else or to something else. And we have a tendency to be quiet. We feel that our words don't matter, that we have nothing to contribute. And I wanted to say to you tonight that your voice matters. Just because there are those that are deaf to it, those that are too busy to tune into it, doesn't lessen the value, doesn't lessen the need. So I want you to be able to see your worth, to see your value, even if no one else shows you any value. Oftentimes we look to people to give us our value, to validate us, to make us feel accepted, to make us feel important, to make us feel worthy. And they don't have the power to do that. First of all, that's not their lane. And secondly, they may not be all that we think they are anyway. So who are they to validate you? The only validation you need comes from above and from yourself. Even parents are supposed to validate their children, to let them know how valuable they are. However, if your parent has not, if the person who raised you has not poured your worth and value into you, it's okay. God is there to pour value into you. You pour value into yourself. If no one else encourages you or celebrates you or cheers you on, you celebrate, encourage, and cheer for yourself. You're important. We talked in the beginning weeks about purpose. You're here for a reason. You're here for such a time as this. You are important. You are worthy. You are worth everything. Never let anyone take your shine away, especially you. We have a habit of replaying our bad things, our bad choices, our bad decisions. Where, why didn't we finish school? Or why did we have a child out of wedlock? Or why did we get into that abusive relationship? Or why did we not uh, go for that job? Or why didn't we complete some tasks? We rehearse those things over and over and over again, beating ourselves down when in reality, okay, it happened. You dropped out. You fell. You failed. You didn't complete. Okay, brush yourself off. Dust yourself off. Pick yourself up. And let's try it again. Never stay where you fall. Always get up. There's a call on your life. You are important. You are valuable. You are intelligent. You were placed here for a time such as this, and it's time for you to walk into who you are. Even if you have to walk alone, continue to walk. It's important. It's important for where you're going, and it's important for others to see. You never know how someone could be watching you watching how many times you fall and how many times you pick yourself up and keep going. And that gives them the resources, that gives them the will to do what you did. We're not here just for ourselves. We're not here just for our families. We're not just here for our friends. We're here for the world. There's a need in you. 
that needs to come out. There's something that you offer that someone else doesn't, and you need to bring it out. That's why you keep getting silent. Sometimes silence comes in the form of abuse. Were you molested? Were you raped? Were you touched inappropriately? Were you made to do things that went against what you knew was right? Don't beat yourself up. It happens. I need you to forgive yourself and let it go. I know it's hard. I know you keep rehearsing it and wondering why you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't ask for it. But I need you to stop being guilty about it. I need you to stop blaming yourself. It was not your fault. You did nothing. That rests on the person that was the abuser. In time, I want you to be able to be okay with that being your history. I need you to be okay and open to forgiving them. More importantly, I need you to forgive yourself because you did nothing wrong, but you keep holding on to guilt and you keep holding on to blame. And I need you to let it go because there's so much for you to do. You felt like your power was taken. You feel like your voice was taken. And I need for you to get it back. I understand that you may have made wrong decisions and choices in life and people look down on you, but that was your history. I need you to let go of wrong decisions. I need you to let go of the doubt that you feel because of the decisions you made or the opportunities you missed. I need you to let it go. I need you to stop being silent. I need you to stop allowing your past and your history to silence you because your voice needs to be heard. There are people hurting in the world that need to hear you. They need to understand what you've been through. I know you feel ashamed, but there is no shame in whatever decision you made. There is no shame, there is no shame in whatever abuse you undertook. There is no shame in not getting it right. There is no shame in failing. There is no shame in falling. You and your story, your testimony, are to help other people overcome. They may not be as strong as you. I know you're looking at me and saying, strong, I wasn't strong. I gave in. But that was where your strength was. Because even though you bent, even though you bowed, you didn't break. How do I know you didn't break? Because you're still here listening to me right now. If nobody else encourages you, if nobody else cheers for you, if nobody else celebrates you, know that I'm in your corner pushing for you to be your best. Know that you deserve nothing less. Let me share a testimony with you, just so you know that I'm not just pulling things out of the air. I attended college when I was 17 years old. I had never really been away from home before because I had parents who sheltered me and kept me in and didn't allow me to do anything. If you saw me in the movie theater, if you saw me in the mall, if you saw me somewhere hanging out, it's because I snuck out. Not at night, but I would lie. I, I want to be transparent with you because I'm trying to help you. I would lie and say I was going one place and go somewhere else. That's the only way I was able to get my freedom when I was in high school. Because if I asked, it was a no. And my mom would say, you know, I have to work. I need to go to sleep. Your dad is at work. These would be the reasons. But the point was, I was not allowed out unless it was school or church. And so I joined every church ministry you could think of <laughs> just so that I could get out of the house and see my friends because I had many church friends. Well, living this sheltered life, when I went to college in another state, I don't want to say the name. A lot of you know what college I went to. I went to a college in another state which was far away from New Jersey. I had total freedom at 17 years of age. 
total freedom. No one could tell me anything. And if you know anything about my past and my history, one of the things I craved was total independence. I had been under my mother's thumb for so long that this was a relief. It was the best feeling I ever experienced it and I ran it into the ground. I don't want to focus too much on that part, but I will tell you that I had heartbreak when I went to school because the boyfriend I was dating in high school, and when I went to college, when I, the boyfriend I was dating in high school, I found out, had begun dating a friend of mine's cousin. And now we're still together. We're just long distance. As a matter of fact, he proposed to me before I left. However, I was like, I'm 17. I'm not marrying anybody at this age. And besides, I want to be free. Even though I turned down his proposal, we did not break up. So I went to college thinking I still had a faithful, loving boyfriend at home. And I found out that not only was he not being faithful, he happened to be cheating with someone I knew. (laughs) And so I felt betrayed, all kinds of betrayal. And I kind of went on this, I don't care anymore. I almost said something else. I don't care anymore binge. Um, I began drinking, partying, really partying. Because I had been partying, but this this was like totally partying. Now, I was uh, missing a class here or there because I was partying. I met someone there who I thought, (laughs) again, at 17, would be my life mate. I was so swept away. I was so caught up in affection. This person was just like the bomb. He was so bomb. You have no idea. It was just amazing. And I was just like, this is it. This is where I could stay. Before I met him, I had been kicking it with someone and that person and I were not boyfriend and girlfriend. We were not in any kind of relationship. It was a kind of I'll scratch your itch kind of thing, okay? However, when I met my boyfriend and I was over the moon, I let this person know, uh, we're done. I can't do this because that's where I want to be. It so happened that he was friends with my circle and the circle and my boyfriend's circle. And so we all knew each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, this was back when, and you know, you did your dirt and you moved on. There was no holding on to things when we say I grew up in a time and in a place where we say it's done it's done and we're done you know that's it right and then we can be friends behind it I was so used to that so we're all hung we're all cool he and another friend are the only ones that have cars my boyfriend was from Pitt, um, Harrisburg so he didn't have a car so we would all just jump into this guy's car or our other friend's car when we wanted to go. We were just hanging, chilling, relaxing, wonderful. I had even put down drinking and partying because I had a boyfriend now and I wanted to be responsible, you know? And I was going back to class. While I was at school, I had four of the best friends money could buy. Not that money bought them, but I'm just saying, if you could have bought friendship, these would have been the best friends you could ever have. I love these ladies to life and I still do. These were my ride or dies. And to be honest, if I were to pick up the phone today and I'm no longer 17 and called any of them, they would have my back. Okay. So in this circle, I'm sorry, there were four of us total, not four other friends. I apologize. Well, there were five of us, um, there were five of us, but the four, um, the, the three, the four of us, I'm going to get this story right, were closest, if that makes sense. So we were the ride or die, the four of us. Within this four, all of us dated friends, right? So I'm dating somebody and my girls are dating the friends of that somebody, right? 
so we're definitely hanging we're doing everything together we just this is it this is what it's supposed to be about I would continue to hang out with the itch scratcher but we wouldn't itch scratch if that makes sense because he knew but we had gotten to a place that I thought we were cool we were friends we were chilling great things he was doing things on the side that were illegal I'm just gonna put it out there like that and so he was spending more time away from campus than on campus well then he got his own place off campus so now we got a place where we can get off campus and go hang and we don't have to worry about it so we're just like okay this is awesome this is wonderful and so we would hang out we would hang out as couples we would hang out individually we would hang out as girls this was our hangout spot one night one of my dearest friends in the circle, still my boo, were walking to get something to eat. I had a late class. I think I was in my ROTC class in the uh, kitchen closed before I was able to get there. So I'm hungry and we want hot food. So we're like, let's go to, I'm trying not to say names of anything because I don't want anybody to come back to sue me. <laughs> but we went to get something to eat at Huddle House. Now, if you know anything about me, you know I love pancakes. I tolerate waffles. Waffles and I are not really cool. I eat waffles maybe twice a year, and that's honest. I, I'm not a waffle eater. Pancakes, I can eat every day of the planet. Huddle House had pancakes, and I was like, that's what I want. So it wasn't that far of a walk from campus to get to. That's another great thing. And so she and I decided to go walk, get something to eat, hang out, because we really hadn't talked because we were in classes and we were our booze. That, that basically was it. When they didn't have football practice, here we come. And so we were just talking about life and everything. And the horn honked, and we looked over, and it was Itch Scratcher. And he was like, where you guys going? And we were like, oh, hey, what's up? What's going on? And we were like, oh, we're going to go to Huddle House to get something to eat. He was like, oh, I'll take you guys. And we were like, oh, cool. We don't have to walk. It's dark outside, you know. Not that it felt unsafe because we did this every day. So we get in the car, pick up the food. He pays for it. He was like, yo, why don't you just come back to the house? I got these new tapes. Yes, this was the era of cassette tapes. No, this wasn't even the era of CDs. <laughs> um, going back a little bit, so we had cassette tapes. And I forgot who the artist was, but they had just come out and we were all amped up to hear them. So we were like, sure, no problem. We've done this millions of times. We go to the house. He has some guy there I've never seen before, big, big dude. I know he had to play football. I just don't know who he was. I didn't know the whole team, only you know our boyfriends. And so he's like, hey, what's up or whatever. And we sitting there talking, kicking it and then eating and everything. And so then it scratcher is like, okay, come on and listen to the um, thing. The radio, the stereo is in my room, which we already knew that because, again, we've done this a million times. So I go in and he closes the door. And I'm like, hey, hey, Amy. Oh, I didn't mean to say your name, boo, but I did. I'm like, come on in. And he's like, uh, no. And he locks the door. And I was like, at first, there was a, 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 a feeling. I can't explain it to you, but I ignored it. It was like a warning bell, but it was like a little thing on the back of my neck. And let me tell you, from that day to this day, if I feel that on my neck, I immediately look around, I look at situations and I get myself out of it. I will not ever ignore that feeling again. I got the feeling, I ignored it, and he goes over to the um, record player, cassette, the stereo, the whatever, I can't think, you know. So I don't think anything of it, but I'm standing up. And so he's putting the song on, I'm like, okay, okay. So now I'm going to go sit into a chair, but before I could get to the chair, he kind of snatches me. And I'm like, what the heck? And he was, I was like, stop playing, come on, let's listen to the song or whatever. I still ignore 
that sensation, that feeling, that that thing on my neck. Now it's getting a little deeper. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But again, I'm like, I've known him all these this, these months. It's nothing at all. It, we're good. It's wonderful. It's, it, it, it. I'm not even going to think like that. No. Come on now. He knows no is no. He is friends with my man. They're good. They're, they've known each other. They're, yeah, you know what I mean? So I was like, eh. I don't have to worry about him trying me. And when I'm saying trying, I'm thinking he's going to try to kiss me. And all. Eh, he knows better than that. Because I'm faithful. When you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship. That's what I'm thinking. And so now um, he has me. And I'm like, okay. I push him away. And I'm like, okay. Come on. Let's just listen to the music, whatever. But this time when he snatches me, I'm in like this vice lock. I, I, I can't move. I'm trying to struggle against him. But he's like a brick wall. Remember, football players. Brick wall. And I'm just sitting here like, and I can see his face right now. It's just crazy. And what happens, because I'm not going into all the gory details, is he gets me on the ground. And he's trying to have sex with me. I'm saying no. So this is what we would call rape. The fortunate thing was I wore baggy clothes and because my pants were so big, I always had to wear belts with them. So him taking my pants off was harder than it would have been if I did not have a belt on. And because of that struggle, I was him struggling to try to get the belt off. I was able to keep fighting and fighting and fighting and hit him and trying to get him off of me. However, he began choking me. He was pressing against my throat and I was losing consciousness. I'm still fighting though, but I feel the black coming to take me. And I thought surely I was going to die because I couldn't breathe and I couldn't get his hand away from my neck. So now I'm trying to get his hand away, trying to keep my pants up. And God steps in. He steps in through. Hmm, I get emotional every time. He steps in through my best friend, my ride or die, my boo still. Amy probably weighed 100 pounds if she weighed that. She's probably going to cuss me out that she weighed more than that, but she didn't. I weighed about 105 at that time. I don't think she weighed as much as me. It was a wooden door that was locked. How she did it, I will never know. This is why I know there is a God. This young lady who I still say may have weighed 100 pounds, busted through the door off the hinges. I don't know how she did it. With the big guy, remember she was out there with that big guy trying to pull her back and pull her away. How she got the strength to knock him down, to get through the door that she busted open, to pull this 200 and something pound football player off of me I will never ever know I still to this day am unclear how she was able to do it except that the grace of God strengthened her that God poured his his power into her she snatched him off I mean she it it, it was the craziest thing because I see black but all I see is his body being pulled and his feet leaving the ground and pushed into a corner. And then she snatched me up. I can't breathe. So she's like, come on, come on. I'm trying to breathe. I'm gasping for air. She pulls me out of the house and we go running. I can't even breathe, but I'm running because I know that at this point we're in danger. We run. And as we're running, he pulls up in the car and he's like, get in the car, get in the car. And I have never been a track star. I've played all kinds of sports, but I never ran track. But that night you could have called me Flojo because I was out. Me and Amy took off 
and we ran until we lost him. I don't even know we ran into the direction of school because it took us a while to get back to school. And all I could do was cry. My first instinct when this happened was to tell my boyfriend because this is my boyfriend. He is my protector and he is going to take care of this buzzard and things will be set straight. Now, we couldn't have people in our rooms on campus, but you know, we did what we did when we did what we did. So we didn't even care. Usually if you were trying to sneak into the boys' dorm, there was a way to do it. We just busted it and ran up the stairs. I don't even know who was downstairs. They didn't stop us. They didn't try to stop us. They didn't try to tell on us. They didn't call security, nothing. We just ran upstairs. We get up there and we're banging on his door and people are walking in towels and looking around and stuff. I'm just panting, gasping, because it still feels like his fingers are on my throat. As a matter of fact, you could see the markings on my neck and I'm dark skinned and you could see the markings on my neck for a few days. Like I wore a scarf around it because I was embarrassed. But anyway, so we get to the room, he opens the door and he was like, what in the world, what's going on? And so I can't, I just burst into tears. I couldn't tell anything. So Amy tells it, I'm like laying, you know, he's standing up, I'm laying my head against him and the tears just flowing. I'm waiting for him to grab me up and say, baby, it's going to be okay. And the first words out of his mouth were, what did you do? <laughs> Amy and I both were like, huh? He said, what did you do to make him do that to you? What were you wearing? Guys, I used to wear those big farmer shirts. I don't know what you call them. You know, the ones with the stripes. It'd be plaid shirts, those big ones and huge jeans like TLC before I knew about a TLC. That was my style. I brought that from Jersey. I didn't wear anything fitting. I had never did until after years later. I always wore baggy stuff. And so in the middle of my, <gasps> I looked at him. <laughs> I said, excuse me, Amy left. Amy said, if I don't leave now, he's going to go flying through the window. And you know what? I believe her. I believe her 100%. So she left me to go find her boyfriend and tell him what was going on. And I looked at this man, young man, who was just everything. He was like the best boyfriend on the planet. And I didn't understand how he could blame me for almost being raped when I did nothing and I was with someone who was a trusted friend, someone who I knew and he knew, someone who we talked, I said, I'm in love or I love this guy, this is my boyfriend. He was like, oh, I get it, I'm good, don't worry about it. I got plenty of people I could talk to. We had had conversations to make sure we were good and that wasn't ever gonna happen between the two of us ever again. And so I looked at the man I trusted here was the second man in one night that I trusted that threw my trust in the garbage, that made me feel naked and unclothed and scared and small. And he said, go take a shower and we'll talk when you come out the shower. And all I could do, I was so numb because it was like he had slapped me. So I went and I took a shower and then I came out and I sat down. I was numb. I was numb from the incident. I was numb from his reaction. I just, I had no feeling. And he then apologized and said, well, I didn't mean to make it sound like that, but we know this guy. This is my friend. <laughs> this is my boy. How could that have happened? And I looked at him and I said, but I'm your girlfriend. That supersedes everything. You should know me. You should trust me. You should know. Did I look like I was dressed to seduce someone? And even if I did dress to seduce someone, would that give them the right to put their hands on me and to touch me intimately without permission? 
and he just was like, I can't process this right now. And I left. I walked out of his room. I put, you know, I had put back my my clothes back on. I left his room. I went to my dorm. Before I could walk in the door, two, the other two friends, because remember, I had three friends, if I could ever get the story right, (laughs) were waiting there with tissue, because they had, oh gosh, this is so emotional. They had been crying because Amy told them. They had tissue, they had drinks, and they had hugs. And my sister friends, my girls, my rider dies that I'm still close to to this day, comforted me where I felt like my boyfriend should have been the one to comfort me and then handle the situation. I felt so ashamed that I did not come out of my room for at least two weeks. And the only reason why I came out of my room after two weeks was because the dorm resident, the resident dorm mother, I I don't know what you call it, I can't even think, dorm director, thank you, Holy Spirit, told me to meet her in her um, room. I thought it's because now, now I'm gonna tell you, I understand I wasn't of age, but I drank every day. I sent people to the liquor store, excuse me, to buy me Everclear, uh, MD 2020, Bones Farm, gin and juice, uh, vodka, rum. I was drinking any and everything. That's all I did. It was very rare that I ate something. I might eat some chips. They would bring me food back, sneaking in from the calf, and I would be like, "Uh, no, I'm good. Um, thank God my aunt was buying, uh, sending me care packages. So I was always getting food from her so I could heat up some beanie weenies or, uh, uh, oodles. Well, it wasn't oodles and noodles, but it was whatever was in the care package. So I didn't have to go out. She called me downstairs. So I was like, oh Lord, she done found out we drinking up in the room. She probably knew. I was like, she found out I haven't gone to class. She probably knew, but she didn't mention any of that. But she came to me and said, baby girl, I don't want you to lie to me. I know that a situation has happened with you and I need you to press charges. And I looked at her and I said, how the heck? I didn't say that then, but I'm saying that now. How the heck do you know that something happened? I didn't publicize it. I didn't say anything. I've been hiding it. And she said, he was wrong. He should have never done what he did to you. He had no right. But I couldn't hear her at that point. There was like a roar in my ear and all I could feel was the embarrassment that someone knew that I had almost been raped. And I ran from her room. I couldn't deal with it. She came to try to tell me to press charges. I said, I refuse to press charges. She was like, what about the other girls that he made sure I don't I didn't care I was too embarrassed and ashamed because surely I had to have done something my boyfriend said it was my fault so apparently it had to be my fault and during that two weeks I may have heard from him once and so I was devastated and it was at that point that I became an alcoholic because I well ever since the incident because I was drinking steadily every day morning afternoon night because while I was drinking I did not have to think about what happened to me so I never wanted to be sober because as soon as I was sober I could see his face like I see it right now and I could see him on top of me and I could see his hands around my neck even though I couldn't really see his hands on my neck but I can visualize the air being taken from me and how he was fighting to get my pants down. And I didn't want to keep seeing that. I didn't want to keep dreaming about it. I didn't want to have the nightmares. So I drank and I drank and I drank in order to cope. What wound up happening a few weeks later, because I kept this behavior up and nobody, it would be if I went to go take a shower I would have to have somebody go to the showers with me. I was so paranoid 
and fearful. And so I would be like, um, who's going to take a shower now? Um, I'll just walk to the bathroom with you. Or can you walk to the bathroom if I had to use the bathroom? I was, I couldn't be alone unless I was in my room in a corner on my um, bed. A few weeks passed and I remember the dorm resident director coming to me and saying, the police are pressing charges against him on your behalf. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, no, I don't want that. I'm not testifying. I'm not writing anything. I'm not signing anything. No, absolutely not. I'm not living this again. And it wasn't that much longer that I left campus and moved into a trailer and went into a whole different life. I no longer cared about people. I had a I don't give a care attitude about everything and everybody. I was ready to die. Not that I tried to kill myself, but I got into a place where I no longer cared. So I understand what it's like to have no voice. I understand what it's like to feel as if your voice has been taken. I understand what it's like to feel little and small and weak and scared. And it took so many years for me to get past it. I buried that incident for years. It wasn't until the 2000s that I brought that incident back up because I had to write a story. It was the, write a composition for class. It was the first time I ever spoke of it. And the first person to hear it was my oldest daughter because she read my paper. And I just cried and cried and she held me. because I had never dealt with that pain. I thought writing it out that one time would help me get over it. I have talked about it on shows and podcasts a couple of times, maybe two or three times. I thought that would help me get past it. I will never forget, I was out with friends and we were celebrating something, we're having a good time. And we had a celebrity football player that hung with us a lot, very good friends, funny, nice, comedic, great, had a good time. And this particular night, he had on a baseball hat. And when he put his baseball hat on, he looked almost identical to my near rapist. And I froze, I could not move, and I burst into tears. A good friend caught me because I was hitting the ground. I went down. She caught me before I could totally hit the concrete. And she was like, what's wrong? I couldn't even speak because it felt like I was looking into the face of the person who violated me, the person I trusted, and it all came back. And this was 2010, 2011, somewhere around then. This had happened, the incident happened in 1990. When you don't deal with what hurts you, when you don't confront the thing that has devastated you, it will forever control you. And so this is why I'm talking about your voice. You have to voice those things, whether it's verbally, written, to get things out so that you can be released from them and get your voice back. As much as I laughed and joked and giggled and ha ha ha, there was a piece of me, a huge piece of me that was buried and stuck because of this incident I never ever addressed or when I addressed it I didn't release it 
That's why I can still talk about this story to this day, 2021, and have tears and get emotional because that violation changed me. It wasn't just a physical change. It was an emotional change. I trusted nobody. Sex became a weapon. It wasn't intimate. I didn't care. Throw it around. I don't care. I didn't love myself because surely I wasn't worth anything. I had been violated. And I know there wasn't penetration, thank God, but it was so close. So, so close. And it still was a violation even if there was no penetration. I felt ripped apart and I felt less than a woman. I felt less than a lady. I felt less than the love I deserved for years, 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 many years, many relationships. Well, I didn't have that many relationships, but you know what I mean. In relationships, I didn't feel I deserved because in the back of my mind was that picture, that vision of what was done to me and the reaction of my ex-boyfriend. Yeah, he eventually apologized. But by the time he got to apologize, I was a different person. And I didn't give a care anymore. Not about him, not about the school, not about my future, not about myself. I did not care. And I became totally different. And I stayed that way for a long time. have a right to your voice. You have a right to be free from what binds you and what holds you captive. You are strong. You are powerful. And your voice needs to be heard. People do things to us because of a lack in something in themselves because of a breakdown somewhere, whether it's physiological, psychological, mental, wherever it is. There are a lot of different reasons, but here's the thing. No matter their reason, know that you don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You will not deserve it. And fight to get your voice back. Fight through the pain, fight through the shame, fight through the guilt, fight through the pain, fight through it. So that you can get your voice back. And when you look in that mirror, you know you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are the head and not the tail. That your father is king of everything. I know you're asking why. Why me? What did I do? You didn't do anything. And yes, God is real. Why me? Why did this happen to me? I'm here to tell you that yes, it happened. Yes, God is real. Yes, he allowed it to happen. And I'll never understand why he does the things that he does. But I know that something greater happened. Had I not gone through that experience, I wouldn't be able to talk to you today about it. I wouldn't be able to be compassionate and and understand and sympathetic and empathetic to those that have gone through abuse. I would be hard and, oh, well, why are they still talking about it? Or why can't they get over it? But I understand because it could have happened when you were three and you still feel it at 30. I understand that because I've been through it. I understand how you could have an up day and then have a down moment. I can understand how seeing somebody triggers it or a conversation triggers it or watching something on television triggers it. I understand. Maybe that's why I had to go through it 
so that I could understand it. And one day God blessed me to be a life coach. God blessed me to be a minister. God blessed me to be a mother. God blessed me to be an aunt. God blessed me to be a sister. God blessed me to be a cousin and put me in position so that if I ever had to speak to someone, I understood and I could help them because I could tell them even though it bent me down, it bowed me down, it didn't break me. Oh, I felt broken, but it didn't break me because I'm still here through all I've been through all the hell I've gone through, I am still here. And I'm not just here surviving. I'm living and I'm fighting to live abundantly. I'm fighting to get every blessing God promised me, every dream, every goal, every ambition, all of my purpose, all of my callings, all of my anointing, all of my appointments, all of my assignments. I want them all. I want to walk through them and have victory and success so that someone watching me could say, how in the world could she have done what she did with the baggage, with the history and the past that she had? If she can do it, then so can I. I would not have chosen to go through what I went through. I would never want anybody to experience it. No one. But the fact is, I did. And here's a joke at the end of me right now. I may be banged up and bruised, patched up, but I'm still here and I'm stronger than I ever was. And every time I tell this, every time I release it, every time I tell my testimonies, when I share my life, I get stronger and stronger. My voice gets louder and louder. Yes, tears may fall from my eyes. I may have to take a pause for a moment so the hurt can come out, but I get stronger and stronger. And that's going to be your testimony too. Your voice will get louder and stronger and more confident. It doesn't matter if it breaks. It doesn't matter if snot runs down your face and tears fall. Follow it. You will get stronger and stronger. And your test will be turned into a testimony. Your mess will be turned into a message for someone else to hear it and understand, to be set free, to be delivered, to be healed, and to be blessed. So maybe that's why we had to go through what we went through. Even though it was done to us, it wasn't just for us. I don't know the answers. I don't know why. But I do know that you can be victorious after being victimized. You don't have to stay a victim. Share your testimony. Tell your story. If you're being violated, tell it. Oh yeah, they threaten you and tell you all the things that could happen. If you open your mouth. But when you open your mouth and start speaking, they get weak and you get strong. So I can't promise you every outcome will be great. But wouldn't you rather use your voice? to help somebody else and to help you in the process become strong. Get back everything they stole from you when they violated you. Get you back and never let anything and anyone change you from the diamond that you are. Your voice is your power. Get your power back. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. I know this one was a little emotional, but I promised you that we would have honest adult conversations. And sometimes it takes ripping stuff off 
takes revealing that wound. It takes talking about a situation we'd rather bury. And we want to live abundantly. My prayer for you this week is that you get your voice back, that you get your power back, that you speak up, that you tell it, that you write it, that you blog it, that you get it out. Stop holding on to it. You're not the villain. You were the victim. And now you're going to be victorious. I have a very good friend who wrote a book. And I thought about it as I was telling my story. Her book is titled Victim, Villain, Conqueror. Latoya Nicole is her name. You might want to read her story. Because as bad as my story sounds, and maybe as bad as your story sounds, there's always someone who has it worse. So though I would never want to do this again, (laughs) ever walk into that situation ever again, for as much as it hurt me, it helped me to become the person I am today. For who I am today, I'm grateful. I may not have chosen that avenue to get to who I am today, but I am so grateful that I'm here, that I'm talking to you, and that we are changing the world. We are world changers. I thank you so much for tuning in today. If you haven't gotten my book, 31 Ways to Self-Care, you can get it on Amazon or Kindle. You can find it on my website, www.authorandreajoyce.com. I'm Andrea Joyce, by the way. That's the name of the author. Um, You can get that in Five Steps to Overcoming Unforgiveness on there, too. I thank you so much for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week with another conversation. This is Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. Bless you.